If the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. I absolutely love that we, uh, that we are trending in at least a direction that seems normal, right? I love that. As excited and as happy as I am to see your faces and that we as a culture are starting to trend in those directions, like, if that makes me celebrate, what does the fact that if the sun sets me free, I am free indeed? Like, what kind of celebration does that generate for us as believers? Amen? Yes. We, uh, this, this is a time uh, where as we consider God's movement, it's, it's really important for, for us to make sure that we are um, following God even closer. Because sometimes it feels like, oh, the restrictions are gone, so I can kind of go back to things as normal. And I want to caution us. Uh, my mother-in-law, uh, about a little over a year ago, she said, it feels a little bit like being sent to our rooms by God, right? When all of this went down, it was like, think about what you did, you know, and spend some time in your room. It felt that way. And as, as we come out, what, what have we learned? What are we taking with us? And that during that same time, one of my friends, he would say, uh, if I'm going to be so cautious and so careful to follow the guidelines that have been put before us, I would be a hypocrite to not look at the scriptures and ask if I'm doing the same thing with the word of God. And I think that that is still true. Are we continuing to follow God? Are we continuing to look at his word and be obedient to what he has called us to? If the son has set us free, we are free indeed, and we have plenty to celebrate in that. When Matt and I first started talking about this series, we, uh, we went to the first five. So what do the first five books of the Bible have to say about everything? We recognize that there is a narrative that is playing out in the scriptures. And that these things, these are true stories that occurred. Like this is history, this happened. We also recognize that uh, this is the, the words of the Holy Spirit. And the words of the Holy Spirit, he's lacing together some stories. He's putting together some themes and ideas that he wants humanity to understand and to know and to respond in faith with. And that's, that's, that's why we started talking about these first five books, because uh, it, it really is a big task, as you're going to see in just a few moments, to, in one message, uh, go through an entire book of the Bible let alone one that has 40 chapters in it like we have this week. For those of you who ever saw Smokey and the Bandit, anybody seen Smokey and the Bandit? I feel a little bit like Jerry Reed, you know. We got a long way to go and a short time to get there. So uh, that's where we're at. The question that we began this series with is how big is our God? How big is our God? It's really great that we can celebrate, like, that's an easy place to go. We can celebrate when, when good things are happening. We can lean into God in those times. When small things happen, yeah, things are tough. I can pray. I can lean into God. But what about when big things happen? Uh, what about when big things happen in your life? What about when big things happen in my life? How about in all of our lives? How about in the whole world? See, God is that big. that He's big enough to handle those things, all of them. Not just individually, but all of them together. 
Not just all of them together, but also them individually. God's that big. As we talk about Exodus, here's where we're going. We're going to talk about deliverance. As a, again, I believe this is a historical book. These things happened. I think there's archaeological evidence to confirm that. These things happened. But not just that. There are also principles that relate to us still today. And we need to grab a hold of those principles and allow them to relate to us today. So here's what we're doing today. Uh, we're calling on God for deliverance. For some, that deliverance might be spiritual. There may be demonization that is occurring. And I'm, I'm not going to get into all of that, but if you're struggling with it, you know it. And if that's the case for you today, uh, Paul and Lynn Madison, they're going to be available towards the end of the service, and they, they'll spend some time with you and work through it. That also uh, might be a physical there may be some physical reasons that we're not getting some, visit, some victories. We might need deliverance in those. We're, we're going to talk about that. might be flesh. In other words, just sinful desires and behaviors that need to be addressed. We're going to ask God for deliverance in those places as well. I, I recognize the spectrum is large, but God's bigger. And we can lean into him for that with the idea that if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we are in desperate need of you. And Almighty God, as we talk through these things, as we look at these movements that you had through the book of Exodus, we ask that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand that we could apply these things that do apply to us to ourselves for your glory recognizing that it's not about us, it's all about you. So Holy Spirit, would you move in this place? I've identified a, a, a large spectrum of things that we may be struggling with where we need victories over from spiritual and demonic to flesh and ideology, Lord. Would you rescue us today? Holy Spirit, I know that it's, it's not fair for me to ask for rescuing and not give opportunity for us to yield to you. So in, in a public way right now, Lord, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm yielding to you. Would you move in this place? Would you speak how you want to speak? Would you say what you need to say through these words? Lord, would you hide me behind the cross of Calvary that you would be exalted and that you would be lifted up? We need you, Lord. We thank you and praise you, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to outline for us the, the book of Exodus. Because of time, we're going to spend uh, more time in some segments, more so than in others, okay? So this is the, the movement of the book, or these five areas, and uh, we'll address them individually as we go, again, spending more time in some areas than others. Uh, here's the reality. As you look at this, what we're talking about is a movement from death to life. We're going to identify that there's a spiritual journey that has to happen. That uh, in this place of a spiritual journey, there's also going to be some spiritual truths that come out. These spiritual truths that we apply and live out are going to look in the form of spiritual discipline. And that's this outline. That's where we're going. So with that in mind, uh, let's be tender to what the Spirit of God might be telling us even today. 
And let's just jump right in. Uh, I, I love this. From Genesis, or I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 1, we begin with there is a need. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 1. I'm going to read a section uh, of Scripture because I, I want us to get on the same page. I want us to see what's happening. And if we would have eyes to see this physical, historical event that occurred, we can also see a spiritual reality that is true for all of us. Watch and see. Uh, as we jump into Exodus chapter 1, I don't have these verses on the screen, so you'll have to follow along in your Bibles if you got them. Uh, Exodus chapter 1, starting in verse 8 and following. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. They built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramesses. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel, so they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves and made their lives bitter and hard service in mortar and brick and in all kinds of work in the field. In all their work, they ruthlessly made them work as slaves. And that sounds pretty awful, but it gets worse. Let's keep reading. Then the king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named uh, Shifra, and the other, Pua, when you serve as midwife to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it is a son, you shall kill him. But if it is a daughter, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. If you have your Bibles, I would encourage you to underline that because that idea of fearing God is laced throughout Exodus and is very important. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but let the male children live. In doing so, there is a woman who has a baby who fears for her baby's life. She puts him in a basket uh, and floats him down the river. He's caught up uh, by a princess in the house of Pharaoh. The sister of this baby sees it, goes to this princess and asks if she needs someone to nurse this child. She says yes. It ends up being this baby's mother. After a time, this baby is given back to the house of Pharaoh. And we find that in, in uh, Exodus chapter 2, if you would turn there. Exodus chapter 2, verse 10 is where we're looking, and this is what it says. When the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. Now, there, there are many people, including commentators, who say that the deliverer has come. And many people believe that Moses believed himself to be a deliverer. In fact, for the next 40 years, he lives in the house of Pharaoh. And in being in the house of Pharaoh, he learns the ways of Pharaoh and Pharaoh's household. 
perhaps thinking himself to be a deliverer, he sees an Egyptian treating a Hebrew cruelly and steps in and kills the Egyptian. Hiding his body, he goes on about his business. Soon thereafter, he comes across two Hebrews that are fighting. Stepping in, as a deliverer might, they said, who are you to judge between us? Will you kill us as you killed the Egyptian, fearing for his life, thinking the secret was now out? Moses leaves Egypt and goes to Midian. At Midian, he becomes a shepherd, and he's a shepherd for 40 years. 40 years in the house of Pharaoh, 40 years in the wilderness. I got to believe that there is a vast difference in those lifestyles. It appears to me that there is a wide difference in what is happening there. And Moses sees some things. One of the things that he sees while he is out is a bush burning. Now, here's the reality. He'd probably seen bushes burning before. It's the desert. When dry things get really dry, things catch on fire pretty easily. He probably had seen a fire before. What is different is this fire didn't burn out. It continues to burn beyond uh, what... what Uh, that bush should allow. Moses goes close to see what it is, and we find out later that it's God. It's an interesting situation, and if you go to chapter 3, verse 7, I'll share a little bit here in just a moment. We have to ask, is Moses the deliverer in Exodus? Is Moses the deliverer in Exodus? So God shows up in the bush, And in this burning bush, God has a message that he wants to give Moses. And this is what he says, at least in part, in verse 7. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Let's stop there. Who does God say the deliverer is? It's him. He's the deliverer. He uses Moses for sure. But God is the deliverer. And if we miss that point, we might be missing the point that it has to be the work of God. It has to be the work of God. And as we start to walk a little bit deeper into Exodus, I want to again challenge you Is there some deliverance that needs to occur occur in your life? Is there something that you you just can't get past it, whether that's a spiritual matter or a physical matter or a mental matter or just a matter of sin? You want to do what you shouldn't do, but you do it anyways. Is there deliverance that needs to occur? Consider that as we continue to walk through this. Moses eventually gets his way to Pharaoh. And in going to Pharaoh, we start to see the plagues come out because Pharaoh's heart is hardened. But in chapter 8, there are some scary things that occur. And as we go to chapter 8 and begin to talk about it, I I want to identify some things. Uh, Again, some commentators have 
identified, Pharaoh in many ways is at minimum the world system, but perhaps is a picture of Satan himself. At minimum, the world system, perhaps a picture of Satan himself. In chapter 8, some things begin to occur that, in my opinion, are very scary because I see them continuing to occur throughout the world, throughout time, and I would suggest that this is still true today. And here it is. Moses goes to ask for the children of Israel to be set free in chapter 8. If you're not there, go ahead and turn there. In chapter 8, starting in verse 25, Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, Go sacrifice to your God within the land. Let me pause there. That sounds fair. Pharaoh's saying, yeah, go ahead. Go out to the land and go make your sacrifices. Good plan. Here's the problem. It's a weekend retreat. That's it. What Pharaoh is really saying is I own you. You go out to that land and you do whatever it is that's sweet and cute that you and your people need to do, but you're mine. And you'll report to work on Monday and you'll do exactly what we've been doing all of these years, just the way that we've been doing it all of these years. You're coming back. Well, Moses doesn't really like that idea. And in verse, he challenges him in verse 28, we see this. I will let you go to sacrifice the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. So uh, Moses, his response was, the Egyptians are not going to like the way we do things. They're going to stone us when they see that we're not worshiping the way that they worship. Uh, It's not going to go well for us. And so he says, okay, well, you go a little bit further, but I got my eye on you. Uh, I want to see you. I want to be able to know what's going on in your world because you're coming back. So again, I want to challenge us. This mentality, this world system happens to us all the time. You can be a Christian on the weekends. Go have your thing at church. But you come back and you leave that Christian stuff out of your life. Oh, okay, yeah, you want to go away, that's fine. You can go away for a little bit, but you're coming back and I'm going to see you. And we're going to put that Christian stuff aside and you're going to do what I tell you to do. That's the idea. Plagues continue. Go ahead and fast forward to chapter 10. As you go to chapter 10, there are a few things that I want to make you aware of. Uh, Moses is unrelenting. (laughs) This isn't enough. This isn't enough. Uh, Let's start in verse 8. So Moses and Aaron were brought back to Pharaoh, and he said to them, Go serve the Lord your God, but which ones are to go? Good question. We will go with our young and our old. We will go with our sons and daughters and with our flocks and herds for We must hold a feast to the Lord, verse 10. But he said to them, the Lord be with you if ever I let you and your little ones go. Look, you have some evil purpose in mind. No, go, the men among you, and serve the Lord. 
for that is what you are asking. Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and this is what he says. You men, go ahead. You men, go ahead, you can go. But you leave your wives and your children in Egypt. We'll take care of them. We have a plan for them. Men, yeah, go ahead, you can be gone. We'll take care of them. And if we would have eyes to see this and we would be willing to look at it, we might be able to see some spiritual conclusions here that we need to be cautious of. First, one of the things I love about today is that there are some people dedicating their children uh, over in Prior Lake. Love it. Here's why. Because they're being very purposeful. They're not saying, we're going to let our kids choose what they want. Okay, so let me just get this right. You're going to let your kids choose if they want to sleep in or get up. That's, your, that's the choice? You're going to let your kids choose what they think would be good? That's the choice? Show them. Show them what is good. Lead them to what is good. Because there is folly bound up in the hearts of children. That is a biblical truth. I'm not being mean up here. That is just the truth of things. And we see that over and over, not just in Scripture, but lived out to my own devices. I'm going to mess things up. I'm going to go wayward. I need someone wiser than me to point me to the direction of living water because I'm going to try to figure it out on my own. I'm going to think, hey, maybe this policy can set me free. Hey, maybe if we vote the right people into office, then I'll be set free. Maybe if I do the right things the right way, we'll be set free. Maybe if I can earn enough money, I'll be set free. But that's not how it is. And we need some people who are willing to stand up in our homes and say, as for me and my house, we serve the Lord, and I'm going to do everything I can to lead my child to Christ. And you know what? They still might not choose Christ. But it's not going to be because they didn't hear it from dad. And it's not going to be because they didn't hear it from mom. And that's what I love about those dedications. And that's what I love about this fellowship, that we're saying this is an important thing to us. And we're not just going to sit back passively. Because if we do, Egypt has a plan. And Egypt's going to capitalize on that plan. No doubt. But then it gets worse. And we might miss it. Uh, if we're not careful. Uh, a little bit later, uh, Moses uh, asks again. And Pharaoh says this. Okay, you can all go. Leave your flocks. And you might think, well, that's weird. That, like, that doesn't sound so bad. Leave your flocks. Uh, Moses says, no, if we leave our flocks, we have nothing to sacrifice. We have nothing to offer. And that's a part of our worship. It would be as if the sole reason, or the sole way, rather, that we worship God is attendance. Like, yeah, we just show up on Sunday. That's that's our sacrifice to God as if somehow, uh, and I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I'm just saying that's not the end-all, be-all of our faith. That it doesn't end with our attendance. That that's a step in the right direction, but it's day by day. We have an offering to God. In the New Testament, we see that that's our very lives. Our act of worship is offering our lives to the Lord. Pharaoh is saying, now, don't, don't make sacrifices. Don't make sacrifices for your God. Just go, won't, we, won't he be happy with just you are in attendance? Can he just be good with that? We'll keep your sacrifices. And that's how it is sometimes. It's the, world, the way of the world. 
it's summarized in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And we see that lived out, especially in this first section, the need and the deliverer revealed. So let's keep looking. The way of deliverance, love this. The way of deliverance, it's going to come at a cost. Uh, So by the time we get to chapter 12, we see that God has a plan. Okay, so Pharaoh has finally gotten to this place where he's he's fed up. I mean, these ten plagues uh, have shown him that their gods have no strength in this place, no ability to, to rescue Egypt. But what he sees consistently is that the Hebrews' God does. And so God calls out to Moses. And here's the call. Take lamb's blood and put it on the doorposts of your homes. And that lamb's blood that is over the doorposts, that's going to be a sign. The angel of death is coming through Egypt, and everybody who doesn't have that, it's going to cost the firstborn. There's a life that's, that's involved here. Moses does that. Now, uh, how does that translate to us in the New Testament? Well, from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, we, we realize that Jesus is that Passover lamb, that Jesus is the one that uh, his blood marks our heart. He is on the, the doorposts of our heart. He's marked that, and it, it cost him his life, that the angel of death passes by. In other words, that we have life, that we have the ability to go from slavery and sin into the promised land that is freedom from that slavery. We see that lived out in the life of Christ and extended to those people of faith who call on the name of the Lord. But this section doesn't end there. It also goes to the crossing of the Red Sea. And this... uh, (laughs) It's, it's an amazing, an amazing story of God's supernatural power. It's unbelievable. It was told to me by a, a pastor many years ago, and uh, he was talking about a kid that was in his church at Sunday school. The kid came home after Sunday school class, studied the Red Sea, the parting of the Red Sea and the children of Israel crossing. And the dad goes, son, and he's like, I don't know, nine or ten. He goes, son. What would you learn in Sunday school? And he goes, oh, Dad, you, you wouldn't believe it if I told you. And he goes, really? Well, well what would you learn? And he goes, well, it's about Pharaoh and Moses. And he goes, oh, okay, well, tell me more. And he goes, so Pharaoh comes in on these battleships, and it's a full assault on Moses and the Israelites. And there are missiles, and there's all kinds of maneuvering that Moses does. And in the end, Moses uh, uh, maneuvers his way around Pharaoh and, Arrows, ships are destroyed. And the dad's going, what? I don't remember that in Scripture. And he goes, son, are you sure that's what the teacher said? And he goes, no, dad, that's not what the teacher said. But if I told you what the teacher said, there's no way you'd believe that. (laughs) It's an amazing story. I mean, think about there's this this 11-day journey that is now three months long. And if you're watching how God is leading them, there's just these weird maneuvers and, and moving around in the wilderness. And God is, is taking them to some bitter waters and then providing for this, like all kinds of stuff that's happening. And they're, they're, they're just like 
This is an 11-day journey. It's three months already. And now, Lord, you have led us to this sea. And Pharaoh is behind us. Pharaoh has, has given up initially, and he lets him go. And they walk out with the gold of Egypt in martial array. And then Pharaoh goes, wait a minute. Bad plan. We had a lot of good laborers. Let's go. And they set out to get them, and they have them pinched. There's the Red Sea. There's Pharaoh. And they're the children of Israel. What do they do? And it's in this place that God miraculously rescues them. Moses lifts his arms. God parts the Red Sea. The children of Israel walk through on dry land. Pharaoh comes up behind him, starts to go through, and the waters crash down on his army, crushing Pharaoh on the other side of the children of Israel, rescued, free from the land of Egypt. The New Testament identifies this as a baptism. And similarly, we see that in baptism. Not that baptism rescues us, no more than the waters rescued the children of Israel, but rather were a symbol of God's provision. That once we were slaves to sin and death, but God has a plan on the other side of these baptismal waters for us to have life. If you would be willing to follow me, there is life on the other side. There is freedom from sin and death. And so, in essence, this is a picture of of that spiritual reality. And we see it here. So what is the way of deliverance? It's Christ's work in our heart. It's following Jesus in obedience to new life on the other side. It's walking away from Egypt. And from there is a movement to Mount Sinai. And I, I, I won't get caught up in this because of time. and We need to keep moving. But uh, this movement to Sinai is not easy. And again, that's a part of all of this. Oh, there's bitter waters, and what are we going to eat? And there's quail, but oh man, wasn't it better over there when we had uh, cucumbers and leeks and all kinds of great stuff in Egypt? Oh, you mean when you were slaves? Oh, you mean when you didn't get to make any decisions, you would rather eat cucumbers than to be free? Are you serious? And yet we see this even in our walk today in this journey So we go from death to life to a journey. And this journey is going to lead us to truth. And this truth we find in the Torah. And um, uh, the the, the Torah is, in English, we'll often just call it the law. And that's kind of okay. But our mentality generally in the West has this idea of the law being like, okay, there's the government and then there's a civil duty. And that's where this... Uh, that's this connection, right? So the government has laws, there's a civil duty. So when we read the Torah, the law, we often think in those terms. And, and that's incomplete. The, the root of the word has to do with flowing. The root of the word Torah has to do with flowing. Uh, one commentator said it this way. Uh, maybe a better word for the West to use would be the teachings, Because these messages, these truths, are supposed to flow from dad and mom to children. It's a flow. 
The Torah gives us these truths. Now, there are 613 in the first five books of the Bible. Many of them are civil, specific to the nation of Israel in those times. So we want to be careful of of, of looking at the scriptures and, and immediately assuming that it applies to us. But there are some overarching principles, and some of them are to people of faith, and we have to recognize that as they come. But that's the Torah. So what about in the New Testament? What do we have? So Jesus, uh, after his resurrection, he calls uh, his disciples around him. And as his disciples are around him, he says, go make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Those are Jesus' words. Everything I've commanded you. One of the big issues that we have in our culture, partly because it's moving more and more away from uh, Christianity as a foundational truth, because of that, uh, as a culture, we have a lot of biblical ignorance It's just the reality of where we are. Some of you, you grew up in a time where you could make Bible references and people, they got it, they understood what you're saying. Uh, Many of you younger people, you, you, you couldn't make those same references and collectively people would understand what you were saying. We live in a different time. So well, with that in mind, we have to ask some questions like, what did Jesus command? Right? That's a fair question. If we're called teach people to be obedient to everything you've commanded, then what did he command? And uh, I'm going to pause this here to say that Pastor Matt and I have been working on uh, a seven-year plan with the elders to work through some major discipleship, leaning in on family ministries and some things they've done in the past and some directions they're going in the future, uh, along with our life groups to say, how can we best learn what Jesus has commanded and follow him in that place? So we'll be launching a lot of that in the fall, and I, I hope you engage in it. It's, it's going to be a lot of fun, and it'll be really good, and it's going to help with this. From this point, there is a movement in the book to address uh, the plan and construction of the tabernacle, and one of the reasons that's significant is, is because we see a, a discipline occur, okay? So now that we have this journey, we recognize, and we have these truths, what do we do with it? Well, there's a way that we have to exercise it. And God gives some specific commands to the children of Israel in Exodus on how to exercise this faith and how to do it corporately. And one of the things that he identifies is that there is a sacrificial system to all of this, meaning that for sin, there is a cost, from our vantage point on this side of the cross, it would be tough to see. It would be tough to witness that sort of sacrificial system. But it seems to be, at least in part, placed there so that the children of Israel can understand the incredible cost that sin has for us and what it takes to cover that. Well, what it took was God coming in the flesh conquering sin and death by giving his life on the cross and extending life to anybody who would call on him. Many of you today, perhaps, are struggling with some obstacles, some things you can't get past. For some of you, that might be spiritual. It might even be uh, 
a, a demonization that is anything from demonic oppression to possession that you need to address. I want to tell you, we have some, some people here, uh, Paul and Lynn Madison, who have been trained in these sorts of things and are happy to walk with you through that. They'll be over here on the side in just a few moments. For others, it may be a, a spiritual issue of like, I just need to surrender to Jesus as Lord. Again, uh, we are available to talk through that. For others, it may be this obstacle of sin. Like, I just can't get past this one sin. The sin seems to be my default, and I can't get past it. Well, let's work on that. I, I want to share with you one of mine that I've worked on a lot through the years. And, uh, and it's hard. This has been an area where uh, I've, I've needed delivered from, and the Lord has met me in this place. And it may seem... Um, it may seem petty, but it's not because it's all-encompassing. But it's one of those things that we like to look the other way in our culture. And, and that is um, to address emotional deficiencies. And instead of leaning on God, I chose to eat. <laughs> it, it's medication and ate and ate and ate and ate. And, and I like to justify it because it's easy to justify, especially in our culture with so much abundance. But I knew the heart behind it, and that's sin. Gluttony is sin. And I had to address I had to call it that. And then I had to address that. And now I have to live to that. And it's really hard sometimes. It's really hard. But I have people who pray for me. I have people that I've uh, shared this stuff with. Uh, I'm trying to be accountable to it. And it's part of the reason that I'm Stepping out of darkness and into the light and even sharing that today with you. Uh, help me stay accountable. Uh, I, we want that. You may have something in your life. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's something else. But let's get victory. Let's not leave here without. If we were willing to, for a year, social distance, wear masks, do all of these things, which I'm, I'm not debating. I'm saying we were willing and we did those things. If we're willing to do that, let's get freedom. Because if the sun sets you free... You're free indeed. The worship team is going to come, and as they're coming, Paul and Lynn are going to be available over here on the side. The ushers and greeters, they're going to come forward for our offering. Two things I request for the offering, if, if you would be willing. One is to pray for us and the leadership uh, of the church. We recognize these funds are God's funds, and we want to spend them in such a way that honors God and his kingdom and that it can't be about us right? So please pray for us for that. The second thing is this, that as the offering comes, would you just maybe, maybe mentally in your mind uh, have this, one more time, Lord, I'm dedicating myself to you. I'm in, in, a, in a spiritual sort of way, I am placing myself in that offering. I'm giving my life to you again, just as those offerings come. And then again, you see on, there are different ways to give financially if, uh, if you feel so led. But we would ask those two things in particular. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we love you and we need you. We ask, Almighty God, that you would move in this place. Lord, Satan is a liar. And his plans are not your plans. And we see that lived out even in the life of Pharaoh, who <laughs> he, he wanted to own wanted to own the Israelites and Satan wants to own us. 
Lord, he wants to keep us in his full view. It's okay for some of us to go away, but not for all of us. Lord, he wants to infect our families. Not just that, but he also wants to keep us from living lives of sacrifice and repentance. And so, Lord, I I pray right now that you would give us victory, that we would walk beyond that, that we would have this in you, this freedom, because we know, Jesus, if you set us free, we're free indeed. And it's in Jesus' name we pray.